Can I tell you uh, the last time I was reprimanded in church? Can I, can I, can I start off the year with that? Uh, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, he grew up in church. Maybe he was a teenager. No, no, no. It was a lot sooner than that. Uh, it was 2019. Uh, it was 2019. Uh, there was a group of us that went to visit Israel in these, uh, and check out all these sites, amazing sites, and just to kind of walk the, the path where Jesus walked and, and get kind of context for when you read the scriptures. And so I kind of helped lead a tour group, but I, but I was not really the leader of the tour, tour group. It was, a, it was a guy that we met there. And he took us to this church that I didn't know existed. It, this, was, this might be the oldest church in the world, Christian church in the world. And he, we've got a picture of this. Uh, it's, a, it's a stone church, so that, that, that's not going anywhere, right? It's 1,500 years old. It's on the place where Jesus healed the 10 lepers, and so uh, that it's over this cave, and so is this ancient church. It's a Greek Orthodox church. Now, I thought I knew uh, strict churches, because uh, I've been in some, some very liturgical churches, some Catholic churches, and I, I love visiting Catholic churches, but Greek Orthodox is a whole different game of strict. They're so strict into the fact, and this is where I got in trouble, is that they told us, and the, and the, you know, the tour guide warned us. He said, hey, when you walk in here, you know, again, it's not a service, but just walking into this building, do not cross your arms at any point. And when you sit down, don't cross your legs because it's the sign of the cross. Now, I don't know about you, but the most comfortable place to be is when my leg is like this. Anybody with me on that? Just to let you know, you can do that here, by the way. You can do that. And so I don't know because out of habit, but uh, the guy was talking for a while. And, it, you know, you kind of try to tell yourself, you know, be on your best behavior. Don't make a mistake, you know. And I, I got to tell you, I, I found myself doing this. He's, and then he, he stopped in the middle of what he was talking about. He's like, uh, 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 uh. I'm like, sorry. You know. <laughs> you know. Should have been back to my charismatic roots. Been like, can I just do this? And uh, um, and, and then, I, you know, I had my, and it happened twice, you know, and it was kind of embarrassing because I'm the pastor, you know, and I'm getting in trouble the most out of our group. Uh, but I just experienced a clash of cultures is what I did. Even though we were both Christians and, you know, that we believe that Jesus is Lord and he's the savior of our life, the way we went about it and the way we do it are a little different, maybe a little bit a lot different. You know, and but again, I'm. Uh, it's the clash of cultures, and this is kind of if I was to explain maybe culture. Culture is what you do, and but it's also the way you do it. It's what you do, and it's the way you do it. And we saw this clash, and maybe if I could explain it in chart form, <laughs> I get so excited when I get a chart. Can I? Can I tell you? We're gonna start the year off right. Th this is. This is kind of how culture starts or is formulated. And everywhere, your family has a culture. You have a culture about you. Uh, your, your friends, when you get together, there is a kind of a culture. It's because there's certain things that you value, and your values of what you hold in, as important informs your behavior or should inform your behavior. 
What you think is important should inform how you act or your behavior. And when you act on your value or when you act on what you believe is important, it only reinforces the value. And the circle goes on and on. And that's why you have culture. But we've all been in that place where there's been a clash of cultures. In fact, you just experienced it when you had your family come visit you at Christmas, did you not? They have a certain things that they think is valuable, right? Your family visiting or your visiting family, and you love your family. Can I get an amen on that? You love your family, but you weren't upset when they left, right? You were, but why? Because there's a little bit of tension there. There's tension because of the way, the way you cook the turkey is different than your in-laws cook the turkey. And there's a little discussion on that. There's discussion on, you know, uh, tamales. I know we, we had a, a thing because for, for me, I think you can get tamales in a can. But apparently that's sacrilegious. <laughs> y- yes. I, yeah. Chef Boyardee, tamales, you know, same thing. Uh, yeah. In fact, some of you just, you don't respect me now anymore. Uh, you just... <laughs> You're looking at me like, that's the clash of culture. The way you do, and, and it's the what you do, and the way you do it. And you were glad you loved your family, but you were okay that they went back home, right? Now, this, you've, we've all experienced this with others, but we've also experienced it internally. That we've all had this internal battle within ourselves of filling this out. And January is a perfect example of this. There's things that... You've hold as valuable, but you, it really has not informed your action. You think, you know, eating healthy is a value, right? But do you actually follow through in action? You think exercise is important, but, does you fo- but do you follow with the behavior? And the problem is if you don't ever allow your values to inform your behavior, it's never being reinforced, and so then the value becomes diminished or it erodes in your life. And that's the difficult thing about January, right? January is about trying to make a reset of a behavior that you've been doing for 12 months very regularly, and you're wanting to interrupt it, and that's a struggle because it's a clash of culture. You're trying to start a new culture, a new way. This is just kind of a microcosm. This tension is just a little microcosm of what Jesus walked into When he arrived in the first century, Jesus walks into the first century and he sees among a culture that is completely different than what he's trying to bring. There's a kingdom that's already established before he's trying to usher in this new kingdom. Values of the first century like might makes right. By this time, it was basically the one who has the largest army makes all the rules and and you know, uses everything. So, so even in Jer- Jerusalem, even in Israel, that's a very religious place, there were places where religious leaders would cozy up to Roman pagan uh, empire because they could have power. They could get a little power as long as they cozied up and kept the people controlled. And this is what Jesus walked into, where everyone's thoughts were might makes right. Another thing that Jesus kind of walked into, these different values of the first century, is that everyone was focused on an outward display of righteousness. At this point, in this culture, by the time of the first century, when people prayed, 
they showed off their kind of oratory skills and how spiritually they were by the way they prayed. Now, that's really different than today because if I was to say, hey, would someone like to end the service in prayer? You know, a lot of y'all would be like, you're sitting on your hands. You're like, I'm not going to pray in public because it's a very private thing for a lot of us. But for them, it was, it was very a bolsterous thing. And so people would show off their spirituality in kind of outward displays and behavior. And unfortunately, when the behavior overruns the value, then you're doing stuff at a sheer obligation and forget the reason of why you're doing stuff. In fact, religious leaders would even use the scripture to hurt people and control people. And so this was always about an outward display of righteousness. And then you had, by the time in the first century, you had no human rights. Women were considered property and, 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 and had no kind of rights in this. And so there was this kind of like control, especially over, over women. And then children had no rights. No one cared about the children. In fact, because women didn't have any rights, there was this, co- uh, this very common practice that was exercised in Rome. It's called infanticide. Have you heard of this before? Where especially if someone wanted a boy, but they didn't get a boy, they would take this young, and the, I'm sorry to ruin your... January, but they would take this young, this baby, this, this girl, leave it in the forest and let the elements have it. And this was called infanticide. This was a common practice in the first century in Rome, a common practice among, among the Greeks in the first century. Infanticide. There was no value of human life because no human had rights. And then you have uh, status determined value. This was, this was always uh, among Rome, but also in Israel, where this was what they would call an honor and shame culture. That when you would do something for someone, it wasn't necessarily out of the goodness of your heart, but it's like, you owe me now. And it's an, and it's an honor thing because if I get enough people that I have enough people that, that owe me, then that can help me in my status in society. And so everything was this bartering system, but that's, that's one thing. You're like, well, that's not that big of a deal. It is because when you're dealing with people that are the outcasts of society or the sick among you, they have nothing to offer you, and so they get pushed to the side. You have this, so Jesus walks into this, and this, this completely kind of barbaric-type culture where there's no human rights, and Jesus has a different kind of teaching, but it's not just because he's a different kind of teacher. He's way more than a different kind of teacher. He's showing people how to live differently because he's establishing a different kind of kingdom. And Jesus ushers this, and you see this, these culture clashes with everybody that would that we'd come in contact with. In fact, there were three main groups that Jesus came in contact with that would kind of be around Jesus. They were the disciples, the crowd, and the skeptics. Disciples, the crowd, and uh, the skeptics. The disciples were the ones that they, that they abandoned. They surrendered things to follow Jesus. And there were times that they didn't get things right, but they still said, no matter if half the time we're being scolded by Jesus because we didn't get the, the parable right, but we're still going to continue to follow him. And so there was this... This idea that we're going to follow you even though sometimes, Jesus, you're not making sense. Sometimes things are difficult. But the disciples are like, we're committed to following Jesus. Now, the crowd was different. 
The crowd are a group of people that would, that would come around and they would admire Jesus. And they were there because of the benefit of being close to Jesus. Because sometimes Jesus fed you. Anybody excited about that? You get a crowd, you can get a crowd when you give food. <laughs> and, and sometimes they fed. And, and, and a lot of times Jesus was healing people. So people were around Jesus because of, of the benefit that if I'm close enough that he can heal me or heal my friend or maybe I can get dinner out of the deal here. So they were there. But then you had the skeptics. These oftentimes were the religious people, but not just religious. There were other people that were curious but not sure what to make about all that. You see these groups of people everywhere Jesus were at. You saw disciples, you saw the crowd, and you saw the skeptics. Well, this is the, this is the context in which Jesus is about to preach his most famous sermon. It's called Sermon on the Mount. And can you guess where he preached it? On a mount. On a mountain. Yes, yes, very good. Um, we wouldn't really consider it a mountain. It needs to be like 9,000 feet for it to be a mountain. But for, for in, in the Sea of Galilee area, in the Galilean region, uh, this was, I would call it a hill, but it doesn't have the same ring, Sermon on the Hill versus Sermon on the Mount. So, uh, yeah, definitely it was Sermon on the Mount. And so this is how it starts off. Matthew chapter 5. And this is, we're not going to go into the whole sermon for the next couple of weeks. We're just going to do the introduction. This is Jesus' introduction. It says, now that Jesus saw the crowds, right, because it was always a crowd, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Now here is where I'm like, ooh. Did y'all get that when I read that? He sat down. That was a mic drop for Jesus. Just want to let you know. In the first century, that was like, because when a teacher would get to stand and declare something, it was one thing. But when a rabbi or teacher sat down, it was like, I want to mentor you. It's I want to, if I'm going to stand and declare something, that's one thing. But when Jesus sat down, he's like, no, no, no. I want to mentor you in this moment. And he began to teach them. And he said this. And here's kind of a, a picture of the sermon where they believe the Sermon on the Mount is. And maybe Jesus sat on one of those rocks. And he's, he's about to preach this message. But what I want you to see, think in terms of this. This is the first century crowds. But I want you to also think this through. Values informs behavior, and behavior reinforces values. And listen through that lens as Jesus is given his introduction to his most famous message called the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts it off by saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted... Because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. He says, rejoice and be glad. 
Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Did you kind of see values behavior? Jesus just didn't call people to believe differently. He called people to act on that belief and live differently. Jesus was establishing, can I say, a counter culture. He wanted to establish that in the midst of a culture that was already established, in the midst of a kingdom that was already established where might made right, it was all about favors, it was all about status, and it was all about trying to get yours, and who cares who you push off in the midst. Jesus says, I want you to think differently, and because I want you to live differently. And Jesus, every time as he's establishing this new counterculture, you see this, and in, in I noticed it for the very first time. Every time there was a crowd, there always seemed to be from Jesus an invitation for people to step out of the crowd, to stop just admiring him, and to start following him. There was always this invitation. That wherever Jesus was teaching, wherever there was a miracle, it always seemed like he was always talking about something in a way for the crowd, for people to make that decision to step out of the crowd, out of admiration, and into followership. That it's not just about believing the right things, but it's about living a different way. Because he says, blessed are. It's blessed in, when there's action to that. You don't get the blessing when you sit there and just believe, the blessing comes when you sit there, believe, and act on that belief. Does this make sense? And you see this, this kind of a difference between the disciples and the crowd. The crowd tends to be fickle, right? The crowd tends to be that, uh, you know, is Jesus going to get us some food today, you know? And there are times where Jesus would be like, y'all are here just because y'all want a snack. But I'm going to give you a hard teaching instead. In fact, there were many times where Jesus' teaching was so difficult and so hard that the crowd was like, uh, I think I've got to relace my shoelaces. Uh, I've got to go. And they would leave. And then Jesus would turn to the disciples. Uh, this wonderful story where Jesus turns to the disciples and said, are you going to? And Peter pipes up and goes, where would we go? Where would we go? Because you have the words of life. Like, I don't get the whole sermon and what you just talked about, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. Jesus, you got to tone that down. Uh, it's confusing to me, and, and there's reason that the crowd's leaving. But Jesus, I've seen too much, I've experienced too much, and I'm not abandoning now. The crowd was fickle because they were there to admire or to find the benefit from Jesus or being around Jesus. But disciples were there because they surrendered to Jesus. And they fully understood, even though they messed up, and half the times those poor disciples messed up royally. And aren't you glad there's not this, that you're not, your life story isn't in the scripture? Because that'd be embarrassing. Be like, oh yeah, I doubted in this moment. Yeah, chapter five, verse three. That's me doubting. That's me struggling. But the disciples, they struggled, and yet they continued to follow because it was always. Jesus always invited those out of the crowd, out of the admiration, out of just, you're here because I'm healing you, you're here because I'm feeding you. I'm inviting you to come follow me. Well, it starts off with the first blessing, and that's how we're going to start us off this whole series, the way of Jesus, starts with the first one because I think it's the most 
important one in regards to the values of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Jesus said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Which is such a strange thing, even in 21st century terms. He's basically saying, when you find yourself spiritually bankrupt, consider yourself blessed. When you consider yourself royally messed up, consider yourself blessed. When you consider yourself a loser with a capital L, consider yourself blessed. You're like, what? That seems so strange to me. Because Jesus is showing a different kind of kingdom, and it requires a different kind of awareness. And that different kind of awareness is he's showing you that when you are aware at how royally broken and messed up you are, you're actually right where God needs you to be. Because the greatest threat to your relationship with God is pride. If you've got it all figured out, if you have everything together, you don't need a thing, you don't need anyone, you are the farthest from God. And yet that's a strange thing because in the first century is alike the 21st century, as in everything that is confidence and charisma is rewarded, right? You go to seminars on how to be more confident, right? How to be more charismatic, right? We reward in our society for confidence and charisma, and yet Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that are fully aware that they are bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, and that they need God. But here, this thing of, of being spiritually bankrupt, God has always, here's the thing, God has always been close to those that are aware that they're spiritually bankrupt. In fact, we see this in Psalms 34, 18. I love what David says. Now, David is saying this, and he is a very talented individual. I mean, he, was, he would be a picture of, like, someone who's got it all together, Right? And yet even through his talent and even through his special abilities and even though he was an amazing warrior and a poet, I mean, he had everything. You know, Ernest Hemingway has nothing on David, by the way. I mean, he had everything going for him. But David understood that he was closest to God, not through when he was at his best, but when he was aware of when he was at his worst. He said this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. He's saying, I feel closest to God when I'm fully aware how royally messed up I am. This is why Jesus walked around in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. His message was simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Why is this such an important element in the faith journey? Jesus is saying, repent, 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 because I'm, he's saying, I'm establishing a new kind of kingdom, and I need people to be fully aware how lost they truly are. I need people to be fully aware how broken they truly are. I need you to be aware, and I need you to be repented, because if you don't repent, if you don't think you need God, you will miss God. If you think you've got it all together, you will not need a Savior, and if you don't need a Savior, you will miss the Savior. And so this is the message that Jesus is saying. It's time to repent. 
It's time to change the way you live. It's time to change the way you think. It's time to uh, submit yourself and humble yourself to say, you don't have it together. You're royally messed up and you need me bad. Which, isn't it an interesting thing? As I, I've been listening to a lot of um, uh, atheists uh, talking about faith, like on, on podcasts and all that. Interesting. Uh, I, I listen to uh, debates too. Uh, do y'all do that in your free time, by the way? That's me. That's what I do. <laughs> I watch Frank Turek debate atheist. And, and, and so, and here's the common theme that are people that are outside the church and outside of faith. They're like, the biggest criticism of church is they're full of hypocrites. <laughs> this is not news, right? It's like, and, 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 and they may have something to be said because if you come to church and you're like, I've got it all figured out, then yeah, yeah, you're just, you're not fooling anybody. In fact, your neighbor that doesn't even know you knows you don't have it all figured out. Just sitting next to you is enough proof that they know that you don't have it all figured out. But here is the, if I, if I could kind of, you know, they don't care outside of faith, but if I could just explain what the church is full of. The heart of the gospel is when you come to the realization that you're broken and you need a savior. So a church shouldn't be full of people that have it all together. It's the exact opposite. It's a bunch of screwed up people that come to church. Can I get an amen on that? A bunch of people that are royally messed up. A bunch of people that don't have it figured out. No, no, no. We are fully aware how royally messed up we are. Thank you very much outside the faith. This is not news to us. This is not anything new that we knew. We're royally messed up. That's why we come here because we needed a savior, a savior to save us from our sin. Because we tried to do it on our own and we only made things worse. We needed a savior to change us from the inside out. We needed some, uh, we needed God to not just change our behavior, but change the way we think about our behavior. We need a rehaul of our mindset. We need a rehaul of all that. It's this common criticism. Oh, no, we're, if you find yourself and you're coming to church, you're like, I've got it all together. You are at a dangerous place. It's the awareness of how broken we truly are and how much we really need a Savior. So, like I said, there's three different groups that, that was around Jesus. Do you know, I think there's three different groups in this church right now. I think there's some skeptics. And maybe it's, you're here, and can I tell you, and I've, and I've had conversations with skeptics that come to this church. They don't believe, but they, they come here. I love it when skeptics come to church. I, I love the fact that, that we can give skeptics space to process through doubts and process through, uh, you know, the curiosity and process through their skepticism. And can I tell you, if, you're, if you kind of fall in that category, man, I'm so glad you're here. And my message to you is this. You can belong here even before you believe. You, we're a church that will give you space. We'll give you, a, we, we'll give you space and, and, and say, hey, Work out this process and these doubts and this skepticism. Work that out. And I, I think it's great. Belong, you can belong here before you believe. But there's another group, and that's the crowd. Now, the crowd, I'd say, there's some definite people that are here that, are, that fall in this category. Here, the crowd, maybe you would, you would kind of define yourself as, you know, I appreciate God. And I, in fact, 
see the benefit of having a belief in God. In fact, you would say, even for you, if you fall in this category, you're here more for your kids than you are for you. Because you want your kids to have a foundation of morality and, and you see the benefits and you, you see the benefit of a belief in God and you appreciate what Jesus has done for you, but you're just not sure about being all in. You're not sure about you want to hold that thing that you're a Christian. Like, yeah, I don't know if I want people to call me that because I've met some weird Christians and I, do I really want to be in that group or whatnot? And the unfortunate thing is you're kind of on the edge of commitment here. It, it, you're close enough to see benefit, and there's some benefit, you know, to being around people of faith, and your kids are getting a lot out of it. But you're not sure about if you're all in. And I've got a message for you, and, and, and I, I'd like to say, just like the skeptics, I think you should in this church have space to process through doubts and process through this curiosity. But I have just a little bit of a warning for those that you consider yourself a part of the crowd, is that the kingdom of God is meant to be participated in, not just admired. And the unfortunate thing is if you live, if you stay in this status of crowd long enough, where you admire Jesus but never fully commit to him, you will never see the full benefit to follow Jesus because you, the only way to get the benefits of following Jesus is to follow Jesus. Does that make sense? That the, there's, no, there, there's very little benefit of just admiring Jesus. There's very little benefit to seeing it. And so, what, unfortunately, if you stay in this crowd very long, you will become kind of heart-hardened a little bit where you'll no longer see why you should commit to Jesus because you said, well, I go to church. Well, just because you go into Walmart doesn't make you cereal, right? <laughs> Sorry, I got cereal on the brain. Yeah, you know, the only thing I can come up with. <laughs> and the unfortunate thing is you may find yourself misjudging what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus from just a place of admiration towards Jesus, and you'll never fully know what it could be in your life if you never fully commit to him. But that's you. But now there's some other people here. They're disciples. You've, you're a disciple because you've burned the ships of retreat. You're, like, you're just like what Peter said. You're like, even if it's weird, if it's strange, Jesus, I have nowhere else to go. I'm all in. In fact, it doesn't, now there's a, there's a misnomer here. Some people think the disciples don't have questions or don't have doubts, and that's not true. Disciples do have questions, and they do have doubts. The difference is disciples see these doubts and these questions that move them closer to Jesus, not away from him. And it's like, even though the more mystery of God there is, the more I'm drawn to him. And you, there's something that you just want more of him, but there's a little... Uh, warning here for disciples. And the warning is this, and it, it, simply this, that the path of discipleship is not a task to do, but it's a posture of surrender. You don't force discipleship. I just got to try harder. It's not about trying harder. It's not about filling up your days with more Bible classes. It's about a posture of surrender that says, Jesus, the answer is yes, even before the, you ask the question. 
I'm following. I'm committed to you. And you will discover things, disciples discover things about God that you can't explain to those outside of that level of commitment. It's just hard. Because you have to be all in to fully understand why. It's like you have to obey, then you'll see the result of the obedience. So I guess my, as we conclude today, the very reason I got up this morning and we got up a little bit earlier this morning. Can I get an amen, right? We're here. And thank God that you're here. It would have been weird if it was just me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think God's been working on some of your hearts. And it may be that way for a couple of months, maybe a couple of you know, weeks or days. But I believe God's been already working on some of your hearts because some of you have been living in this place of the crowd. You're comfortable. And I believe God has been working on your heart and he's calling you out of the crowd. He's calling you out of the comfortable. He's calling you out of this edge of commitment where you're, you've got your toe in and that's about all you got. Be like, God, that's, you know, that's all I got. I believe God's been working on your heart and I'm only coming along doing what he's already been doing internally and internally in you and you're ready to not just be a part of the crowd and admire Jesus, but you're ready to dive all the way in this morning. And I want to give you an opportunity for that. But I'm going to ask you to do something pretty bold because you got an extra week off of church, so we're doubling up today, right? (laughs) Some of you would consider yourself part of the crowd. I've just kind of been at a, but I feel... God's been working on my heart, and it's, I'm ready to make that step. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray. But I think it's important for you, um, among people in this church, to see that you're making this commitment. So in just a few moments, if that's you, you're, out of, you're in the crowd, and you're ready to make that step to become a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to have you do something bold in just a minute. I'm going to have you stand up in front of everyone. And you're thinking, oh, I can't do that. But here's the beautiful thing. As soon as you stand up, you're going to hear a roar of people that have your back because that's what a community of faith is all about, is supporting each other, that all of us at one point made that declaration that Jesus is Lord of my life. I don't just admire him. I don't think he's just a good teacher. He's way more than that. He's the son of God, and that changes everything. And for you, God has been moving you this direction already. I just want this to be that confirmation of what he's doing in your heart. And then at that moment, we're going to pray together. And I've got a book that we want to give you to help jumpstart this year as you become this disciple. So in this moment right now, you would consider yourself a part of the crowd and you're ready to become a disciple. Will you stand right now? That's bold. That's bold. All right, church. Let's stand with them. Let's stand with them. We're a part of this family. We're a family of faith. That's bold. After service, I want every one of you that stood, we have a book for you. And we just want to give you a big hug and say thank you for making this commitment. But let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, in this moment, there are some bold hearts that, God, you have already been working on their hearts to become this disciple, to step out of the crowd. We make this commitment. 
We know that you died on the cross for our sin, and we accept that. And we know that you rose again to give us victory over sin, and we accept that. But more than all that, Lord, that we are committed to live a different way because you've called us to a different life. So help us in this pursuit as we are now your disciple. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Give three people a high five. We'll see you next week.